7.02 on Monday night. Already listening to the True Oldies, 95.9, 106.9. It's Ira on Sports. Um, we don't have Mike tonight, just Ira. And uh, Mike's on, a, I think, a cruise. But there is plenty of sports to talk about. And I am just pumped about, I mean, I'm exhausted from watching so much sports. But I'm just energized by everything that's going on. Tonight we have a great show. Dow Maxwell, who we had on before, a former general manager of the St. Louis Cardinals, uh, is going to talk about whether the Cardinals can come back from the 2-0 deficit. They're going to start the game in 40 minutes at the Nationals Park in D.C. to try to cut it from 2-0 to 2-1 and stay in this series. It's a must-win, of course, for the St. Louis Cardinals. And then at 7.50, we're going to have Steve Tannehill, who we had before. He's the arguably the greatest quarterback to ever play for South Carolina. And he owns the number one bar in Columbia. And he, so considering that South Carolina pulled one of the biggest upsets in my lifetime in college football as a 25-point underdog to beat the number three-ranked uh, Georgia Bulldogs uh, in a, just a tremendous football game. I mean, if anyone watched it and saw what was going on, uh, uh, it was in Georgia and great games. We're going to have Steve on to sort of talk about the mood of the town. And I mean, he admitted that it wasn't that big in Columbia because everybody was in Athens for the game. It was quiet there because then they're also on fall break. So, but he said this week they're going to play Florida and the town will be rocking. So we're excited by that. But we'll have Dow Maxwell coming on at 7.15 to talk about uh, the series. Now I'm in LA because I did something I've only done twice, once before my life, this is my second time, was I saw two NFL games in one day. It's going to be almost impossible to do coming up. I went to the Rams game on, at 1 o'clock, or out here at 1 o'clock, in the, steel, at, in the L.A. Coliseum, and then in Carson, where the Chargers play, I saw the San Diego Chargers play the Pittsburgh Steelers. So I did those once before. I was in Buffalo and saw a Buffalo-Houston Texan game and then drove down for the night game uh, between the Steelers and Ravens. But now that they're going to play next year, they'll play in one stadium. It's going to be almost, unless you can do that, there's a few we could talk about with Mike. I was coming up with other ways you could see two NFL games in the same day. But, so that's why I'm in Los Angeles because I just saw two games yesterday. But uh, this town is sad. And this town is sad because of, and they're sad and they're upset. Uh, Dodgers, the L.A. Dodgers, they, it's, I think, a tie between the, I would say the Dodgers are over the Lakers, but it's close between the Dodgers and the Lakers of who owns this town. This is not a football Rams town, clearly. And this is a really, I would say, the, you know, a Dodger or a Laker town. And the fans now, this is three years in a row that they thought they were going to get the World Series parade, which they didn't get. Um, I went to game four. I mean, they're up 2-1. They had two chances to close out the, the Nationals. And I was in, in Washington for this game. And, and as people in Washington, after losing game three, there were a lot of empty seats in that stadium. And it was perfect weather to start the game. It was probably, I can't imagine a more perfect setting. And then it started to rain in the game. And then it started getting cold. And I was wearing shorts. I was freezing and buying sweatshirts. And the Dodgers got out to a lead. They went out to Justin Turner. They're just, I think the two guys, Max Muncy and Justin Turner for the Dodgers, they are, they're the team. I mean, they are really – Bellinger might win the MVP, but Turner and Muncy, and Turner gets a home run. Uh, they started Rich Hill. Uh, they pulled him after in the third inning, but Anthony Rendon. So the, for the Nationals, they let – at the end of last year, Bryce Harper comes in, and it's the last game of the season, and they give him – they offer him $300 million to stay. 
He's their star. He's been there for seven, eight years, uh, the face of the franchise, everything. And Harper says, no, I, I don't want the $300 million. I think I can get more. So he went around, went around, couldn't find it, then came back to the Nationals. And by then, the Nationals had moved on. They said, we don't really have that money for you. We signed Patrick Corbin. We signed other players. And they lost Harper. And they're like, oh, the Nationals are terrible. They don't have Harper. But they knew about Rendon. And I, we talked about this, and I watched him in spring training. And he was phenomenal, and he just, what a clutch hitter. Well, he comes up with the bases loaded and score ties at 1-1. And Max Scherzer was pitching for, for the uh, Nationals. He pitched uh, great. I mean, he was, at one point, he had struck out, I think, six or seven people. As, and then it, was, it went into the seven innings. He only gave up one run. And then Rendon drove in another run to make a two-run. Uh, and then I like what happened is that they got um, two men on in the seventh inning. And, uh, and uh, uh, Ryan Zimmerman. Now, Ryan Zimmerman's been there for 14 years with the Nationals. He's had a great career. He's had 270 home runs, uh, 279 average. But this year he's only played 52 games. He's been injured. But he is like one of those will always be known as, I mean, the, just as he's not a Hall of Fame player, but he'll go as a great national player. I mean, he is the town. And, and he comes up there, down 2-1, and he breaks the game wide open, making it 5-1. And, uh, and, uh, and, and with a, th- a three-run home run, and he's celebrating, the, t- the stadium went nuts. And it was just great to see that. And at that point, they win the game 6-1, and you're thinking they're going to go back to L.A., and it's going to be Strasburg versus Bueller. I mean, it's going to be this is this is what this is what you and I said. Bueller is Walker Bueller is pitching great for the Dodgers. And I said, boy, but I just didn't like the Nationals bullpen. And I felt like if this game, if the Dodgers ever got this lead on there, it's just going to it's going to be over. And Muncy <laughs> hits a home run. Kiki Hernandez hits a home run. So they're up 3-0 early. Uh, in the sixth inning, uh, Rendon doubled and Soto singled him in, making it uh, 3-1. And uh, they pulled they pulled Bueller at the bottom of the seventh inning, and they bring in Kershaw. So now, think it's bottom of the seventh inning. They bring Kershaw in, and uh, uh, and he gets the on three pitches uh, and out. So everything it's thinks it's great. Kershaw is bringing in relief. This is phenomenal. We've all know about Kershaw's struggles. He is one of the best in the history of baseball of regular season, but in the postseason, he's just sometimes mostly been a disaster. And he's, I mean, he's pitched a lot in the postseason, had some great games, but in general, for considering his regular season performance and postseason performance, it's been awful. And, of course, he's never won a championship. And uh, then in the seventh, Corbin, you know, as Washington's been doing, is putting their starters in the game, relieved, and he pitched uh, an inning in third and pitched great. But then, so Kershaw comes back out for the eighth inning, top of the eighth. And you just, you just sat right down there. You'd be like, okay, it's 3-1. It's over. The Dodgers are going to go to the National League Championship Series. They have all the pitchers. They have the lead. They were able to get those three runs off Strasburg. They have the lead. They're ready to go. And and Rendon hits uh, a home run. Uh, and the question is, what was Kershaw going back out for? There's they have other pitchers that could have pitched him. Ada could have came in. They could have bring Kelly Jansen in. They're closer, which some of these teams have been doing. They could have done anything, but to bring Kershaw back out. Uh, with all his troubles, he gives up a home run. And this is what Dave Roberts of the Dodgers has been criticized mostly, is that now it's 3-2, and Swan Soto, who has been phenomenal, 20-year-old phenom, who has totally replaced uh, 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 Bryce Harper, uh, uh, much better than Harper, much clutcher than Hutcha. Soto comes in, and they had a pitcher, Kowalik, who was there for Soto. Soto has been a bad Kowalik, I think, uh, 0 for 5. 
and with like three strikeouts against Clog. And it was he's on the team mainly just for Soto. They don't bring him in. The next pitch, Soto home run, three three. Uh, just a disaster for the Dodgers. And uh, and then in the ninth though, so it's three three going to the ninth. Will Smith. The catcher hit a ball. I thought when he hit it, it was a home run, and that was going to be a game-winning home run. And the, and the Dodgers have won all these games, I think 13 games this year, on walk-off wins, and it didn't go out. I mean, and so it, was, so it goes into the night. It goes in the 10th inning, and uh, Eaton walks. Rendon got a double. They walk Soto. Bases loaded for uh, Howie Kendrick, and Joe Kelly's on the mound pitching. Now, this is a second-inning pitching, and he gives a grand slam, 7-3, Dodgers lose. And horrendous, horrendous loss for the Dodgers. Uh, just, a, um, just, it's just, it was. It's one of these things where the Dodgers expected. I think the, I was here out when the Yankee series and when they lost the Yankees. Like this, they felt this team with 106 wins was going to win the World Series. There was no doubt when the Yankees came in. They like, they like, oh my God, their team's better than us because at one point they seemed to be winning every single game, every single game. And I think that this is now the third year in a row that they just got. It, it's they just get these huge leads. They were at 20 games up over Arizona in like in maybe uh, June and just coast to the end of the season. And they can't. Whereas the Nationals were playing every single game just to make the wild card game, and then they beat Milwaukee in the wild card game. So they had that that energy and their toughness. And the Dodgers were just coasting. But Roberts was not fired, which leads me to believe that a lot of decisions he makes. It's a team-oriented approach. I think the general manager, they have, supposedly have 30 uh, stack guys uh, there working, make, call, making decisions. So the decision to keep Kershaw in, I don't think it was Robert's decision. It's a group decision. And it was a decision. They just, and I that's why the team didn't fire, because it did not make any sense. His pitching changes didn't make any sense. This is now the third time in the playoffs the Dodgers have lost. And the use of pitching have been, has been terrible. And you watch the Yankees. Everyone I know out here has been saying, we watch the Yankees and Astros, and they're using their bullpens. They know what they're doing, whereas the Dodgers weren't using their bullpen well. So then we go into the National League Championship Series, this last couple games. And, um, um, well, first of all, we're going to talk with Dow Maxwell on at 715. But the Cardinals were able to beat the Braves game four, and then everybody knows what happened in game five. 13-1 in Atlanta. They had a 10-0 first inning. Um, and uh, uh, it was just a, just a total, absolute blowout by the Cardinals. And a surprise, Atlanta's a young team. And Atlanta really wasn't ready for what the Cardinals and Cardinals played hard, and Yadier Molina played great, and Azuna played great, and uh, that left. But I felt like both the Braves and Cardinals, of all the teams left in the playoffs, were the weaker of those teams. Uh, and then we came to the, uh, then we came to the, you know, then we're watching the National League Championship Series, and the Nationals' first game, uh, they they beat the Cards 2-0. I was on the game October 14, 2012, when Annabelle Sanchez played against the Yankees, pitched against the Yankees. Seven innings, three hits, zero runs. He played for the Tigers. The Tigers swept the Yankees that series with Verlander and Scherzer. I was sitting in the uh, stands, and it was a sitting in a section. There was no Tigers or no Yankee fans. People just, like 50 people wearing just normal clothes. And I'm like, what's going on? Finally, looks for next to me, and they're like, this is the Tiger section. They don't like to wear any Tiger gear. And then I'm Annabelle Sanchez's agent. And he had just signed it. Then after that, head came. He pitched designed for a huge contract that next year. And his parents were crying the whole game. They were sitting next to his agent. So it was pretty meaningful to be there. So I've followed Sanchez his whole career. But uh, he had a no-hitter going through seven and two-thirds. And in the seventh inning, Miller struck out Soto with first and third in. And, uh, uh, but it was, uh, it was just 
it was a great win for the Nats over the Cards in terms of and the pitching from Sanchez. Uh, just a, just an amazing amazing game. And then to come back the next night, Scherzer is pitched a no hitter to the to the seventh inning. Um, and it's the same thing in 2013. Sanchez and Scherzer did the same thing. They pitched I think six innings of no hit ball back to back where they pitched at Detroit. And Scherzer, a St. Louis native, he actually has two regular season no hitters, but he's going through. But Wainwright for the uh, Cardinals, he pitched a great game. He pitched at the top of the eighth, gave up only one run, which is a Michael A. Taylor home run. Uh, but then the Nats added two more runs in the eighth inning and were able to, uh, were able to uh, close out the game uh, up uh, 3-1 and taking those two games. So that sets up tonight. Uh, which will be uh, the, the chance for we'll see what happens in terms of uh, the Nationals been able to close that, really take that 3-0. They take a 3-0 lead in the series. It's been comeback. Everybody knows in uh, the Red Sox-Yankees series when the Red Sox were down 3-0 and came back. Uh, it's never been done in basketball. But if you take a 3-0 lead, uh, it's pretty much uh, it's over, and it's going to be Flaherty for the Cardinals for Strasburg for the Nationals. Um, and then, so that sets up the stage for that. It looks like the Nationals have this. It looks like Washington's going to go to the World Series, which is a great story for D.C., great story for the Nationals. Another wild card team gets in. And the big shock for everything is that uh, um, is, is, is certainly the Dodgers. Everyone had, I think there was a point where the Dodgers were like an 80% favorite to make it to the uh, World Series, and they, and they don't do it. Um, well, that brings us then to the American League. And we've been waiting the whole year. It's been, it seems like months and months and months. And uh, uh, Dell, we have Dell on the phone right now. Hello. Dow. Good evening. How are you doing? Good, good. <laughs> Talking to Ira from Ira on Sports, uh, 95.9, 106.9. We have Dow Maxwell on uh, the phone. And Dow's a four times World Series champion. Um, in 1964, you caught the last out off the bat of Bobby Richardson when the Cardinals beat the Yankees in seven games. Um, and I think one of the greatest stats you had is you had 88 chances in the World Series uh, for defensive chances, no errors. You see all these errors in the postseason, people stressed out, making mistakes. You made no errors in 88 games. And then you were the general manager of the Cardinals, 84 to 94, uh, and you went to the World Series twice. So certainly uh, as Cardinal through and through, and it's a, a pleasure to have you on. So uh, what are you thinking about tonight, Flaherty versus Strasburg, and, and a, a must win for the Cardinals? Well, it definitely is that for sure. And uh, fortunately for the Cardinals, they've got their best uh, uh, pitcher going for them. Uh, at least uh, he's been the best pitcher all year, and particularly the last couple of months, he's just been outstanding. Um, but uh, they've got a pretty good pitcher going against him too. So uh, the, the problem, is, as you know, Ira, has uh, been the lack of offense, uh, the uh in both these two games that the Cardinals lost, uh, they, you know, their pitchers were outstanding and, uh, but, but just did not get any run support. And, uh, you know, when you get to the playoffs in the world series, you, uh, you got to score a run every now and then to do it. You can't, uh, you can't be hanging up a zeros or a one and uh, expect to win in the playoffs of the world series. So I, I mean, you had great pitching performances out of Wainwright. That was a, a tremendous game. I mean, how deflating would it be for a team to, to actually get two good pitching performances in two days and then and, and lose both games and then have to go to a game three? That must be – I mean, you, you couldn't have asked anything more for Adam Wainwright uh, two days ago and to lose the game at home, just a very deflating loss. 
Yeah, well, for sure. But uh, uh, but these guys are uh, professionals. You know, they've they've done a, a job all year long and bounced back from uh, some negativity uh, and not scoring runs pretty much all year long. So uh, I'm sure they're uh, they're uh, uh, optimistic about going into this evening and uh, going to be pretty aggressive out there. So uh, the key, of course, in any World Series. Uh, is uh, try to score first because that puts so much pressure on the other team. When uh, I was playing and in Oakland, uh, Charlie Finley would always, uh, who was the owner of the ball club, Charlie would always come in prior to the start of every World Series game and say, I just want to tell you guys one thing. Whoever scores first normally wins the ball games in the World Series. And then he would turn around and leave. That was all he'd say, just that, and turn around and leave. And, uh, it was pretty good advice, obviously, because it does put an awful lot of pressure on the other club if you score first. We have lost Ira, so just give us a second, but continue pl- talking, please. All right. It's Ira. Hello. Hey, Dow. Yes. So... Yeah, I'm sorry. We got a little technical difficulty there. I'm sorry. I'm out in L.A. They're, they're all depressed. I think somebody from the Dodgers uh, heard us talking about that and just got, probably pulled the plug at my station on that right now. Uh, but anyway, so um, t- talk about Goldschmidt and Asuna in terms of they, the, like they are really the engines to this offense and what they really have to do tonight in order to, uh, in, in order to get the Cardinals for a win. Well, of course, you know, he's a big part of it. Uh, uh, you know, he's had a heck of a year for him and uh, done a great job. So they're uh, kind of counting on him to lead the way. But, uh, you know, everybody uh, has kind of been struggling. Uh, the shortstop, Dijon, uh, he's had trouble the last, really the last couple months of the season and the playoffs. So he needs to get himself going somehow. And and uh, Ozuna, uh, who had another fine year but and had it had a couple of good ball games there, uh, where he's hit a couple home runs, but he's, uh, I guess the word is lack of consistency by any of them, really. Uh, you, you just don't know what you're going to get. Um, you, you, you know, you kind of count on the three, four, five guys in the lineup to do the job, but uh, nobody in the, uh, in the Cardinals right now is leading the way with base hits or, or uh, driving in runs. So, Maybe they'll all turn it around tonight and uh, do well and score a bunch of runs, but going to be tough. Very good pitcher going against them. And 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 for in terms of Flaherty at this moment, like uh, Jeff Flaherty in terms of this game, uh, it, how do you feel he's going to go considering the pressure, considering the stakes, uh, the atmosphere? I was at Nat Stadium earlier this week. I mean, it is crazy. I mean, they're, they're going to be all wearing red, so the Cardinals and Reds, he'll be used to that. But if the stadium is loud, the fans do get in the game, how do you think he's going to respond to this, uh, this, I mean, the outside pressure of the playoffs? Well, he's just going to have to uh, remember uh, what he's done uh, really all, all season long, but particularly in August, September, and then this uh, bunch of the playoffs here. He's been uh, so – dependable uh, just and he's got good stuff big kid throws hard good breaking ball and has had good control uh, he's not going to try to do anything different he's just going to try to throw strikes uh, keep the ball down and uh, hope he gets some support behind him where if he makes a mistake it's not going to be crucial 
what is there to say is, I mean, we're at West Palm Beach. Uh, I happen to have seen the Cardinals. I go to a ton of spring training games. And the fact that the Cardinals, it's now the way they're doing it is between the Marlins, the Cardinals, the Nationals, and the Astros. They almost play each other exclusively. It's a, every night they're playing at one stadium or the other. What, do you think the familiar – which way does this familiarity that I think the teams definitely have because these players are there, they, they, they are social, I think, off the field also with each other, but they, they get to see – they get to face them. It's not someone that, oh, my gosh, they've heard about him and they, you know, for the A's or something. I mean, these guys play against each other for a month at least and see the, all the pitchers and hitters? Well, it's, um, you know, spring training is uh, uh, just a tad different than uh, the playoffs or the World Series. Um, uh, if either, ca- uh, either team, one of them, is going to get that far. But uh, no matter how many times you play somebody, uh, you may know them, you may know their uh, strengths and weaknesses, but, um, you know, the, the pitcher still has to, to pitch to those weaknesses and uh, try to get people out and uh, the, the uh, pitcher that you're facing uh, you know what he's going to try to do but you once again you uh, you have to try to find some way to get on base or drive in a run or do something to uh, uh, get yourself a little bit of a lead where the, the pitcher can relax a little bit and uh, as I said before um, not worry about making a mistake that turns out to be crucial. Wow. And then, again, if the Nationals get through, uh, I mean, if the Cardinals get through this game, they have tomorrow night maybe a better matchup for them against uh, Hudson versus Corbin in terms of that game. And, they, and then they'll have at least have some momentum going. And, uh, uh, and, and then if they win that course game, game four, then they go back to – then in terms of, of that game, that seems to be – I mean, of course, tonight's a crucial one. But if they get Hudson versus Corbin for tomorrow night, you've got to feel comfortable with that matchup. Well, uh, you know, uh, Carbon, Carbon is no day at the beach. You know, he's a pretty good pitcher. He's got good stuff. So, uh, you know, they they're not worried about tomorrow night. I guarantee you, they're uh, they're thinking about uh, this game tonight. That's this is uh, very important to them to win this ball game, and then uh, try to win another one, uh, so that they can go back to uh, St. Louis and try to do something back here. But uh, you know, it's. Um, uh, yeah, the, both those pitchers tomorrow night, uh, they both had, have had uh, good years. They both got good stuff. But uh, the, uh, the focus right now for all, for all 50 players, all 25 on each team, is this ball game tonight. So would you expect – is this like an all – would you say this is an all-hands-on-deck game for St. Louis? Like every pitcher's available. I mean, I'm not going to bring in Hudson, but almost everybody else in terms of the Cardinals, uh, in order to avoid going down to 3-0, they will treat this almost like a game seven, doing everything possible oh, yeah. to – you know, every yeah. pitcher would Yeah, I think so, Hiram. I, I would think that everybody is available uh, with the exception of, of, uh, of Hudson. Uh, I'm, you know, they, they've uh, – they, they've got to they've got to do it tonight or uh, things are rather dire. <laughs> well, well, Dal, I really appreciate you coming on Iron Sports. I know you got you're going to go probably with all your friends and watch the game in, a, in about 20 minutes. So thanks a lot for coming on tonight and best of luck for your Cardinals. Well, thank you, uh, Ira. I appreciate it. Enjoyed talking with you. Thank you. So you, Maxwell, he was the. Uh, uh, a former general manager of the Cardinals and a, uh, and a player who's won three World Series titles with him uh, for his insight on the Cardinals. And um, <laughs> clearly I'm excited with the game tonight. And, but 
again, back to the National League, the American League, it just looks like whoever gets through, if the Nationals do get through, I mean, they are going to go against the team. I mean, the Yankees against Minnesota, uh, the two teams that scored the most home runs in the history of baseball, and the Yankees destroyed them in three games. Uh, the, uh, it wasn't even really close at all uh, in terms of and winning 5-1 in, in game three. Uh, now, the problem was with Houston was that the Rays are really good. And the Rays took them uh, to five games. And Verlander was uh, gave, they started Verlander on three days rest in games four. But in game five, uh, Garrett Cole pitched uh, one of the best games again. <laughs> Every time I see him pitch, it's almost the best game. He had, uh, uh, had 11 strikeouts. Um, he is now 18-0 and 0 in his last 24 games. Uh, and uh, the, the, big, the part of the game that was interesting is the Astros jumped out to an early 4-0 lead. And just like we were in the Dodgers here, uh, they, against Yu Darvish, uh, who was tipping his pitches in Game 7 of, of the World Series, it, uh, it, Tyler Glasnow admitted that he was tipping his pitches, meaning letting the hitters know what he was going to throw uh, and giving up a 4-0 lead. I mean, the Astros must be the genius. There's, nothing, there's no cheating. There's no, nothing about that. I mean, they're just, if you're seeing how he's holding the ball and what kind of pitch he's going to throw, and you could see there was a good video clip of the, of the Astros talking to each other and saying, yeah, he's doing this, he's doing that. And that's just good teamwork. That's good scouting. That's good preparation. And uh, that uh, was a, just a, a tremendous win for them. Uh, but uh, he's... Garrett Cole, right, he, I'm familiar with him for the Pirates. Um, he's now had 11 straight games with over 10, 10 strikeouts. Uh, at one point, he, he had 73 consecutive innings with, with, the, with the strikeout. Uh, this is the, was the longest streak since 1961. So he has been amazing. And then, then you go to, then you go to uh, um, uh, the, uh, the game one uh, two days ago, uh, Yankees and Astros. And the Yanks jumped out 7 nothing, and I, I thought in this series, I, I had predicted all year long, I said, I think the Astros are the team. I really do. I think they had the pitching with Cole and Verlander and Granke, and I felt like that they had enough hitting. And, but the Yankees, and I said, if the Yankees get pitching, that they'll be unstoppable. And Tanaka, a one-hitter through 68 innings, uh, 68 pitches on uh, six innings, uh, and uh, they were able, and Glaber Torres uh, for the Yankees. She was three for five with five RBIs. Every time Torres came up to bat, he was doing something. He was tremendous. Uh, he had doubled in the fourth, drove in a run. He homered in the sixth inning, uh, and uh, just and he singled another run in the seventh. He's only 22 years old. Uh, he's actually the youngest player to drive in five runs in a postseason game. He batted 417 in the Twin Series, uh, in the sixth position, but moved up to third. But if Glaber Torres can hit like that and Tanaka can pitch, and the issue is Granke. I mean, a lot of people, I was listening to a lot of radio people said, Granke, he's going to choke, he's going to choke. He's one of, been one of the best pitchers in baseball. He's one of the highest-paid pitchers in baseball. Uh, and he just he gave up three runs in six innings, did not really play well, uh, pitch that great in the game, and really sort of put the uh, uh, – the, they really put the, the uh, Astros in a hole. Uh, really needing to win that game, too, last night. Uh, and as I want to watch that game, it ended pretty late. But uh, Verlander, uh, he gave up two runs in six and two thirds, and he was pulled after 109 pitches. Uh, but Carlos Correa, who has been um, missing this year mostly, he, he has uh, missed almost 100 games this year. Uh, he is one of the best shortstops in baseball. Uh, but he's last two years, he missed 50 the year before, 50 year before that. He with it with all various injuries, but still this year he had 21 home runs in 75 games. 
Uh, he's only 25 years old, and he came up in the uh, bottom of the 11th inning and uh, hit a monster home run. Uh, and it was just uh, against Paxton. It was it was it was uh, it was just a great home run. He had he had a run earlier, and then he had a home run in the bottom of the 11th, the walk off home run. So now that series is tied 1-1, and now we go back to Yankee Stadium. And the Astros have Gary Cole pitching, uh, so it's gonna get it's gonna get interesting because uh, that's what they wanted in terms of. Now the problem with the Astros is they wanted Cole to, to pitch Game One because the Rays took them to five games. That became a problem because Cole had to pitch Game Five. So the Yankees still feel look. The Yankees did what they had to do. They got the one win in Houston, and they're gonna go back to Yankee Stadium. The place is gonna go crazy. They know Granky's probably gonna start again in Yankee Stadium. But this next game tomorrow night, Cole has. Got to, or tomorrow afternoon, really, uh, Cole has got to pitch uh, a great game for the Astros. But I love the series. Um, I love the man how they're how the just the use of the different bullpen and the players. This is really a phenomenal uh, series, one of the best series I could ever remember. I don't, I mean, unless the Nationals get their pitching perfect, they're going to have trouble. They just don't have the hitters one through nine. Whereas both the lineups, the Yankee and Astro lineup, one through nine, are just tremendous hitters. So I'm excited for the games. I predict. I think. Yeah, I'm going to say the Astros still pulled this out. I think that they. I think they win in seven. I mean, someone said either the Yankees win in five, but if it goes back to seven, you're going to have Verlander and Cole pitch six and seven. So I think it goes back. I think the Astros win in seven in a great series. I think the Nationals close out the Cardinals. Um, but uh, so that's baseball for you. We had a good thing, and we're going to have Steve Tanio on at seven, like seven fifty. Uh, Steve was the best uh, quarterback in the history of South Carolina football. He's going to talk about uh, the big upset in college football. And we're going to turn to that a little bit right now. Uh, I'm on the beach actually watching the game on an iPad <laughs> um, between Georgia and South Carolina. 25-point uh, favorite. I was more focused on Oklahoma, Texas. And I was like, that's just the old game I want to watch. Uh, but you're, you're keeping your eye as a 25-point favorite, and you're, you, I didn't think that South, Georgia's not the team that's been totally blowing teams out, so I thought the line was pretty high. And if you look at what, who uh, South Carolina lost to this year, two and three, they lost to North Carolina, they lost to Alabama by 24, Missouri by 20. But they were on their second-string quarterback, and they really hadn't scored a lot of points. But Jake Fromm, who had been Heisman Trophy, everything with Georgia, tremendous, he threw three interceptions and a fumble. He had no interceptions at in the first five games, and uh, it was 17 cents South Carolina in the first half. And I just said, okay, well, that's 17-10. Georgia's going to just do what they did in Notre Dame, just start running the ball, wearing it down. But it seemed like in that second half, Georgia, they started they had interception, they had fumbles, uh, they, uh, they, they, and, they finally, and, and they finally scored and made it 17-17. And you're like, okay, South Carolina, good try. And they drove down, though, and Parker White had a, had a chance to, to hit a field goal to, to take the lead. Uh, he, he missed it, a uh, long one. Those, it, was, it was a long field goal. Georgia gets the ball back ready to get a position to have their winning field goal with Blankenship, who's the, one of the best kickers in college football. And uh, they took a penalty. I, I was shocked. They had a chance for like a 55-yard field goal. They probably should have kicked, tried to kick the field goal there. They ran another play, got a penalty, became a 60-yard. And then Kirby Smart remembered in that Auburn-Alabama game where they tried a long kick, and the person could return it back for a touchdown when Alabama tried that against Auburn. He was, on, he was a coach at Alabama at the time. So they just decided to have a Hail Mary pass and not try the field goal. Uh, but in overtime, uh, the first overtime, first play, they, they intercept from again, 
and uh, South Carolina then gets the ball. That's why you always want to start second in overtime. South Carolina gets the ball, just needed a short field goal to win the game because they started the ball in the 25, and uh, Parker White misses a 33-yard field goal. So you're like, oh, that was their one chance. But in the second overtime, uh, South Carolina makes the field goal, and then when George had a chance to tie, Blankenship missed a 42-yarder. So it was clearly one of the biggest upsets I mean, I can remember these huge upsets when, like, Stanford beat USC. Uh, it's just, you just remember the gigantic upsets in, in football. Uh, and this is one of them. This will be the big upset of the year. I mean, I would assume at this point now, unless Clemson. If North Carolina beat Clemson last week, that would have been one. But we talked about this. There's going to be one great game. There's going to be one upset game. And Clemson got criticized, which they should, for not beating North Carolina when they were favored by 20-some points. But they ended up winning the game. Georgia had to win that game. Now, it doesn't take – we'll talk about the postseason, about the playoff. It doesn't take – Georgia still can be in the playoff. There's a path to the playoff, but it gets a lot harder. (laughs) And then the Oklahoma-Texas game, which I was watching mostly that one before the game got close, uh, Oklahoma – uh, it was a 10-point favorite in that game. I love the game. It's, it's tremendous. It's half and half. It's at the Cotton Bowl. Uh, 50% Oklahoma fans, 50% Texas fans. Uh, the atmosphere is great. Last year, Oklahoma lost the game. Uh, and after the game, Lincoln Riley fired Mike Stoops. Who was, we had Bob Stoops on last week, who's his brother, fired the defensive coordinator about Alex Grinchin. And Oklahoma's defense has looked much better this year. And, and against Texas, I mean, they were up 10-3, but it could have been 28 nothing. Jalen Hurts, for, uh, who is everyone's favorite now to win the high Trophy. He fumbled the ball through a bad interception, just didn't play a good first half. I mean, Texas had only 83 yards in the whole first half. Oklahoma had 260, and the score is 10-3. But in the second half, Texas started going. I mean, Sam Ellinger was doing well in terms of better passes. Rashawn Johnson, a true freshman running back, had some great runs. And CeeDee Lamb, oh, it's just tremendous uh, for, for Oklahoma. But besides that, it was, it was just it, it was one of those games where it then became back and forth uh, in, in the second half, but the lead that Oklahoma had, they just stayed, they stayed 10 points, seven points ahead. And Texas really didn't have a chance to get back. They scored a late touchdown to make it 34, 27, but they couldn't stay in a good win for Oklahoma, a win they had to have. Um, but, uh, and Texas played well. I mean, Texas now has a two tough losses. They lost to LSU at home, lost to Oklahoma in this game, but they're making strides. And, and, uh, uh, I, I, I think that, uh, Tom Herman is, certainly has the program in the right direction because for years Texas was not even talked about. Uh, the other game I watched and later in the next afternoon was Clemson-Florida State. Uh, I knew this was going to be a blowout. The whole week talking about Clemson not getting respect. Uh, not, Clemson said, we're not getting respect, but people were not respecting Clemson. They're saying uh, they were making comments that Clemson didn't even deserve to be in the top four if they finished undefeated, even though they're the reigning defending national champion and they're undefeated and all these things. They were criticizing Trevor Lawrence. Paul Feinbaum called them out. Other people called them out. Last year, Clemson won this game 59-10. This score of this game was 28 nothing with nine minutes left in the second quarter. They had Clemson had 300 yards in like a quarter, which is 1,000 yards in a game, total blowout. Um, Lawrence didn't finish with a great game, 170 yards, three touchdowns, but uh, Clemson made another statement. I mean, look, if Clemson and Oklahoma went out, they're in the national championship. They're in the playoffs. That's just what's going to happen. Uh, but it was, a, it was a win that they had to have. And then Alabama blew out Texas A&M, not really blowout. It was 47-28, the final score. They were leading by about, 20, about 30 points during, at some points in the game. Uh, Tua had 20, had, who has now has 27 touchdowns and one interception on the season. He threw his one interception, but he had four, four touchdowns. 
Uh, every wide receiver for uh, uh, Alabama is tremendous. Devontae Smith had seven catches for 99 yards on touchdown. Jared Judy played great. Uh, Alabama didn't even punt the ball until like the end of the third quarter. Uh, and uh, the interesting stat about this game is Nick Saban is 18-0 when coaching his former assistants. Jimbo Fisher of Texas A&M was one of his former assistants. He's 3-0 against him. But uh, a big win for Alabama. You know, anytime you go to Kyle Field, it seats almost 100,000 fans. They're loud. It's a big game. Uh, a huge win for. I, I just think it's a. That was. I think for Alabama to go on the road and get a win like that shows. Uh, I mean, everyone. Everyone this week has been criticizing Alabama and Clemson, and they're the two best teams in the country. I think. Well, the LSU Florida game. So <laughs> there again, another 10 point line or 14 point line. Florida played great, and Kyle Trask is playing phenomenal for Florida. And it was a heavyweight fight, 28-20. They were up 28-21. Uh, Florida was over LSU. Uh, but LSU and Joe Burrow, what a great game. I and mean, people put him in the Heisman race, and he should be. He was 21 for 24. They missed three balls for 300 yards and three touchdowns. Uh, and uh, they just they, you know, they, 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 they just did, you know, Florida was not able to sack uh, Burrow the whole game, uh, play great. I just thought it was one of those. I mean, you're just watching those games, and you're thinking, tremendous, tremendous performance. And whenever they just, whenever they needed to get a touch to a good pass, Trask was able. I mean, um, Burrow was able to make that. And uh, but I give credit. I look, Florida played great. They now they have a, They just they played really, really well. Uh, and uh, it was just it was like one of those situations where LSU looks like. This, bring the LSU Alabama game on. They look phenomenal, and they can score this year. And they're able to have. They still are defense is tough, and they're scoring touchdowns. Um, most impressive performance of the weekend: Wisconsin, Michigan State. Wisconsin now has given up 29 points uh, in six games. Uh, they have four shutouts. Four shutouts in six games. First time Michigan State's been shut out since 2000 in the Big Ten. Uh, they only had 149 yards. They only rushed. They're one of the best rushing teams in Michigan State. They rushed for 30 yards. Uh, Jonathan Taylor had for Wisconsin had 26 carries for 80 yards. I don't know if he can win the Heisman or not with all these other quarterbacks, and he really needed a big game on that stage. But Wisconsin, it, like if you said Wisconsin won the national championship, I wouldn't be surprised. Their offensive line is dominating. Their defense is just – I just don't know if you can do anything against their defense. I, don't, I mean, I'm waiting for them to go against the Alabamas and the Clemsons. But this team might be the team that stops them or the Ohio State's. So just a great win for Wisconsin and uh, uh, sets it up for later. And then North and Notre Dame, a couple other games. Notre Dame, big win over USC, 30-27. to 27. Uh, USC was down 17-3 at ha- halftime. And Kendis Lovis is their freshman quarterback. And what I like about what's happening at USC is, even though they're probably going to fire their, their coach, Jim Helton, they do have a lot of great young players. Slovis is going to be someone they can build around for the next two years. And I think Notre Dame, more than anything, was hurt by Georgia's loss, to, uh, Georgia's loss earlier because that was the loss that they had. So Notre Dame is sitting at like eight right now in the polls. They're ranked ahead of Georgia, which is totally ridiculous. So if you lost to a team, you should be ranked ahead of them. But this puts in a position that Notre Dame has, uh, you know, for, they need help certainly for the other teams. Uh, big fan of, of course, Penn State. I'm going to be excited to watch the Michigan game next weekend. And saw Penn State win 17-12 over Iowa. What an atmosphere when you watch that on TV. Just it was the first game I missed all year. I, was, I mean, I watched it on TV. First game I wasn't at. Um, Iowa couldn't score a touchdown the first half. It, they, Penn State was up 7-6. They had a drive. It was like a 10-minute drive, 15 play, 85 yards. They converted four third downs. Just a tremendous uh, drive in order to do that and and, and score. Uh, but they were, Penn State was up 17-6. Iowa didn't seem to have a chance to move at all uh, the entire game. But uh, they scored a touchdown at the end. Uh, Stanley to Smith was a great catch. 
then Penn State just behind Noah Kane. No, they've been using his rotation of running backs. Uh, and Noah Kane suddenly is now emerging as the running back, and he ran well. But the Penn State defense, their defensive line, these guys, Robert Windsor, Shaka Tony, and Grace Matos, they are tremendous. I mean, it just seemed like Iowa could not block them at all the entire game. Uh, and the only time Iowa scored when they scored the touchdown was when they were out of the ball, them were out of the game. But uh, a big win for Penn State, and it sets up for the Michigan State game. Uh, another one to mention, uh, Miami uh, uh, beat uh, UVA at home. Really a must win for Miami to, to do that after what's happened the last couple of weeks to get to even their record at 3-3. Three and three. Uh, So the point right now is this is that in the polls, you have Bama, LSU, Clemson, Ohio State, one through four. Oklahoma's five, Wisconsin six, and Penn State seven. Those are the teams, the undefeated teams. Uh, Oklahoma is going to get in if they win out. Clemson's going to get in if they win out. Bama has to play LSU, and Wisconsin has to play Ohio State, and Penn State plays Ohio State. So you're going to have lots of losses. Now, if you're the SEC, you had four paths to get teams in the playoffs. They want SEC, of course, wants two teams. You needed to have... Uh, you needed to have Georgia. There was a chance that if Georgia would have been undefeated and played either Alabama or Clemson, that if Georgia even lost in the championship game of the SEC, they're like, you're undefeated, you're great, but if you, win, if you made the championship game and lost, you still could get in. Well, that went out. They're going to have either Florida or Georgia. It would probably be Georgia, of course. But if Georgia will now have to win the SEC title to make the playoffs. There's no other way. Now, the Alabama-LSU issue is different because if Alabama beats LSU and then Alabama gets to the, gets to the uh, say, our LSU beats Alabama, get to the SEC title game and say Georgia beats them with one loss, then Georgia says, look, we should get in. Now, Alabama would have one loss and they're saying, well, our only loss was in the championship game. And then LSU would say, well, we only have one loss too. So that's where they would say, okay, we deserve to have three teams in. But I really think that Oklahoma and, uh, and uh, Clemson are in as long as they keep winning. So the other teams in the Big Ten are rooting them for to lose. Now, Wisconsin plays Ohio State with, with the old Big Ten. It, Big Ten is probably never going to get two teams in. However, the question is wh- who wins it and how it's going to work out. Now, the schedule is Wisconsin is on the west side and Penn State and Ohio State on the east side. So Wisconsin would have to play the Penn State-Ohio State uh, uh, winner or whoever wins that side in, in the Big Ten championship game. And then outside looking in are teams like Oregon and Utah in the Pac-12 and Notre Dame, uh, all thinking they're going to chance in. But really you're looking at seven teams for the four spots. I mean, it's, I, I don't think that the Oregon and Utah, like the Pac-12 teams, are going to get in. And I don't think that the Florida, I'm not sure the Florida, Georgia, and Auburn teams are going to get in, that, on that, or still have a chance to get in. Uh, so they went all out, potentially. Uh, but next week, Ohio State plays Northwestern at 8.30 on Friday night. Uh, no big games. I mean, everything you have, these huge lines, Clemson-Louisville, 23-point favorite. West Virginia is at Oklahoma, Oklahoma's at West Virginia. Uh, Oklahoma's a 34-point favorite. Wisconsin plays Illinois. Wisconsin's a 30-point favorite. Um, LSU-Mississippi State, LSU's a 20-point favorite. Uh, it's, it's just total. George, Kentucky's at Georgia, 25-point favorite. Big game. Penn State, Michigan State, Penn State's a seven-and-a-half-point favorite. Um, big game for Penn State. It's uh, game day, I mean, uh, college game day is going to be there. Uh, it's going to be a great atmosphere. I certainly will be there, and I can't wait to talk about that game. So I'm pumped up for next week, and, uh, and uh, oh, Tennessee plays Alabama uh, next week also. And Alabama's a 36-point favorite. But uh, so we get, to, we get to pro football. So we talked about earlier, uh, I was at the Rams 49ers game. And before the year started, uh, everyone thought, boy, the Rams, they made it to the Super Bowl last year. They have a young team. They have Goff. They have Gurley. They have a great young coach. They have a great defense. 
and no one. They went up to a three. They had were a three and zero record, and now they've lost three games, and they looked so bad. They were horrendous against the 49ers. Uh, they went down the first drive, uh, seven plays, 56 yards, scored a touchdown. Just ran the ball, no passes. They did nothing the rest of the game except nothing, really. Uh, they ended up having at one point in the in the uh, on, on the Rams on first downs they were they had uh, they had they were 0 for 9 on third down. Uh, Goff threw 13 for 24 for 48 yards for four sacks for minus 30. They were outgained 331 to 157 yards. It was. It was embarrassing, really. They could not complete passes. Uh, Gurley wasn't in the game, and, and they brought Daryl Henderson, their great rookie running back in, or supposedly going to be great. He fumbled the ball. He had a couple good runs, but didn't look that. He just looked out of it. I mean, it was in the wrong position at certain times. But the Rams were terrible. Uh, they had problems. Uh, and the most interesting thing about this game was, so they played the 49ers, and the stadium seats about 80,000. It was mostly filled. I won't say it's a sellout, but I would say it's a, it was about 50,000 49er fans and 30,000 Ram fans. And that does not bode well when they move to their new stadium, because if they can't sell out the Coliseum next year at the Sophie Field, what's going to happen when they go there? It was just, it was embarrassing. The team didn't play well, and uh, they better get their the, the Rams are a team that's in trouble. And Jared Goff is not playing well at all. And this is a problem. And everybody criticizes the Dak Prescotts, and they criticize uh, Carson Wentz's and all these other quarterbacks in the NFL that somehow are getting, seem to get a lot of criticism. Jared Goff is, is struggling. He just signed this huge $30 million a year contract. So then the games, I leave the game with about 10 minutes to go. It was, they're up 20 to 7. I knew the Rams weren't going to be able to do anything. Uh, the, the only thing I would say about the 49ers, Jimmy Garoppolo. He played, did what he had to do to win the game. He's now they're five and zero, uh, and it's interesting that Brady is six and zero, and Garoppolo is five and zero, and Jacoby Brissett is three and one. But uh, but um, I, he had a bad interception. He drove all the way down and threw an interception in the first quarter at the one yard line, which he did against the Steelers. Turnovers, and then they're up twenty to seven. The game's over. He fumbles, they get sacked and fumbles the ball, and the Rams get the ball, of course, do nothing, they go three and out, and four and out, and it's nothing, but again, his penchant for turnovers, he's not, he's too careless with the ball, I think he misses a lot of wide receivers, and he's bailed out, Matt Breed has been playing great for him, George Kittle, the tight end, played good, but I was just not, I just, I like Garoppolo, he's a good quarterback, he's a great quarterback, he's one of the highest paid quarterbacks again in the league, like everyone else is, but the turnovers, if he keeps turning the ball over, he's just, they're not going to make it to the Super Bowl, and not going to advance farther, and, uh, so then the game, so then I leave without 10 minutes to go in the game, drive with friends, and a lot of other people did what I did because they left at 4 o'clock. They could leave. You had an, about an hour and a half before the other game starts. And Carson from the L.A. Coliseum is about uh, 20, with 10, minute, 10, 15 minutes with no traffic, about 20 minutes to half an hour with traffic. But it's the first time I was ever, ever at Carson Stadium. It seats 27,000 fans. It's called the Home Depot Center. LA Galaxy plays there. It was great. I mean, it's complex. You could park right next to the stadium. You don't have to worry about parking. You drove right in. Um, the stadium is beautiful. The seats, the sight lines. There's not a bad seat in the stadium. Now, we, I said, I mean, every seat is perfect. The complex is beautiful. They have a Belladom with having an Olympics there. They have a tennis stadium there, a track stadium. It's hosted rugby, boxing, everything. And it's like two decks, but it's small and intimate. It was like a glorified almost high school stadium, but nicer. And I just love watching the game there. It was tremendous. But 
how about this? Out of the 27,000 fans in the game, I would say 25 or 24 were Steeler fans. It was, it was as much Steeler fans, and I'm not, I, at most, 20, at least 20,000. It was all Steeler fans. You, you could not even see blue. Um, and I sat on the Steeler side, I didn't see one Charger fan, and everybody was dressed as Steeler fans. Uh, this, again, is, shows poor when they moved to the SoFi Center because they don't have, uh, um, uh, they, they, they're going to have to sell their games out. And I don't know how they're going to get fans. I mean, they're going to play in a 70,000-seat stadium, a state-of-the-art, the most expensive stadium ever built, and the Rams and the Chargers can't even, can't even get people in their own stadiums. And this is a 27 – they couldn't even get 27,000 Charger fans at the stadium. But, uh, it, it, look, the stadium was great. I'm glad I went there, and uh, it was awesome to see, and awesome to see the Steelers. The big controversy was at the end of the fourth quarter, um, at the beginning of the fourth quarter, the Steelers had played Renegade from Sticks, where the, everything, all the lights get shut out. Well, they, the Chargers tried to play a, a game on the Steelers where they, they did that. They still pretended like they were going to do that, where all the, the scoreboard went black, and then it looked like they, were, they began like the first reframe to Sticks, and instead they played a Rick Ashley song. But it ended up that the Charger players got mad that their own team did that because the Steelers fans went crazy, waving their towels, everything like that. So that didn't, that didn't work out uh, so well. But the Steelers... Dalvin Hodges from Sanford, uh, talked about last week, he broke Steve McDerry's FCS record in terms of passing, undrafted free agent that they just signed, uh, came in for Mason Rudolph, but he played well, 15 for 20, 130 yards. But the key was the, the, the Chargers, the beginning of the game, the turnovers, Rivers threw a pass, I don't know where he threw it to. It was behind the line of scrimmage. Devin Bush picks it up and runs it in for a touchdown. Devin Bush, the star from Michigan. Uh, and then, like, the next possession, he throws an interception right to Bush. I mean, Bush is just everywhere. He is doing – he's phenomenal for the Steelers. They, they moved up in the draft to pick him uh, for the 10th pick in the draft. He, is, he has now had an interception in two straight games. He's had four fumble recoveries, which leads the NFL. And uh, then the Steelers drove down 14-play, 86-yard drive. They'd start to run the ball uh, using their offensive line, took out nine minutes. I mean, it was one of the fastest games. You saw this on TV. There were no penalties at the first half, and the Steelers just ran the clock out, and uh, it was great. I mean, they ended up going – they were up 21 nothing, and then they, they'd start the second half, go up 24 nothing on a field goal, and uh, you think the game's over. Uh, but the Chargers went uh, – the Steelers just – some poor plays, poor decisions. They, I think what hurt the Steelers was they lost – uh, two at Watt and Hayden, three of their players in the game. Plus, they were three short, so they were really playing with second team, and uh, they got a little tired, I guess, or something. But they let the Chargers back in the game. Uh, not really back in the game because the Steelers ended up winning, you know, by by 24-17 and required. I think when you ever see a team needing an onside kick, the percentage now has dropped from like 20-some percent to like 2%. Uh, I haven't seen a, an onside kick. I think there's been one return. The, the new rules prevent you from getting an onside kick now because they were trying to, to not let you load up all your kickers on, or people on a kicking team on one side. And that there's really got – NFL might have to come up another way because there's just no way if, you, if your team's saying, okay, our chances of an onside kick, it just doesn't happen. People are not – have almost zero chance of – have a better chance of winning the uh, uh, 50-50 contest and getting that onside kick. But uh, a big win for the Steelers to go to uh, two and four on the year. And uh, the Chargers, they fall to two and four. So a team that a lot of people, I, Chargers were a lot of people's favorite to go to the Super Bowl uh, from, if it wasn't for the Patriots, and they didn't play well at all. But uh, it was, I just, look, I love going to that game. I think it was great in that atmosphere. It was fun to be. I remember I was at a Steeler-Dolphin game, and I felt like it was 
big Steeler fan contingent, maybe like 60 or 70%. And I was at Atlanta game one time, but nothing like this because there are no Charger fans at all. They're all in San Diego. They're not in Los Angeles. And all the Steeler fans showed up, and the stadium was small. Um, let's, we have a few more minutes before we get to uh, Steve Tannio. The Patriots went over the Giants uh, on Thursday night. Uh, Tom Brady was golfing on Sunday, but on, on Thursday, on Thursday uh, 300 yards again. I mean, everyone's saying he's the game manager. He's on pace for 5,200 yards. Uh, he's got 30 touchdowns and nine interceptions. Uh, they didn't start out the game great. I've got to give the Giants credit. They, were, they had Daniel Jones did not really have his best wide receiver, did have a Shepard or Barkley. But uh, uh, the Patriots' defense, tremendous. They returned a block for a touchdown. They forced four turnovers and a fumble return for a score. Um, so the Patriots are 6-0, and and nobody else has – uh, you know, they're the only undefeated team in football except for the 49ers, but in the AFC. Uh, I saw on Sunday morning Carolina uh, versus Tampa Bay. Carolina won. They're 4-2, 37-26. Jameis Winston, I mean, some games he looks amazing, but this game, five interceptions. He lost a fumble. Uh, Tampa Bay was just a disaster. And Kyle Allen now uh, undefeated as a quarterback for Carolina. Cam Newton's ready to come back. The question is, I mean, can you take Kyle Allen out of the lineup? He's played great for Carolina. They look amazing. Uh, McCafferty uh, had he had a, re- a reception that looked like a video game where they he like made three guys miss on a touchdown. Uh, and a lot of people have him have Christian McCafferty as from Stanford as maybe an MVP of the league. I don't think he's going to get it over Mahomes or Wilson, but uh, he's played great for Carolina so far. Uh, one interesting point about this game is that Tampa Bay has played now uh, at the Rams, at the Saints. So they were in L.A., they were in New Orleans, they were in London, they have a bye week. They're at the Titans and then at the Tennessee and at Seattle. So from September 26th to November 10th, they're not going to have a home game. Um, and then uh, another, the big game of yesterday was Houston-Kansas City. So Kansas City, everybody's favorite. Oh, Kansas City, they're going to go there. They're going to beat the Patriots. They're the team. Now they've lost two in a row to Indianapolis and Houston. Uh, it was, uh, Kansas City was up 17-3 and, and blew the game. Uh, Patrick Mahomes did not look good again. He had three touchdowns and interception, but just missed a lot of it. He seems like on third down and seven, he's going for third and 22. He had Tyreek Hill, his best wide receiver back, had a good game, and one, uh, he had one amazing reception. That was, if you could see the highlight of that. But really, the story of the game was that just like Marlon Mack for Indy ran for 100 yards, Carlos Hyde ran for 116 yards, uh, Deshaun Watson played a tremendous game, 280 yards, uh, one touchdown. Uh, but they had Houston at 83 plays, Kansas City at 47. Houston had 40 ball, 40 minutes a game, Kansas City had 20. Uh, it was just, it, it's just you keep the ball, you run, you make smart passes, and you keep Mahomes off the field, and then he tries to score on these long passes, and that's a, maybe the, the recipe to beat Kansas City. Uh, the other big game, Seattle now is 5-1 and one over Cleveland. I, I was at the games when I was watching this, so I saw Browns were up 20-6. to six. Okay, Browns have everything under control. But Russell Wilson, one of the best comeback quarterbacks I've ever seen, uh, just tremendous recovery, you know, come back and win that game, 32-28. Baker Mayfield, three interceptions, uh, made stupid plays again. Uh, it's amazing. Cleveland right now is tied with the Steelers at 2-4. and four. And Seattle looks like uh, between Seattle and New Orleans is the favorite, and maybe Green Bay, as we see tonight, to go to the Super Bowl. And, and speaking about New Orleans, they beat Jacksonville. They're 5-1. and one. Uh, they, uh, The defense is just tremendous. I mean, they, they won 13-6. to six. And when Drew Brees comes back, it could be in two, maybe two games right now. Michael Thomas is playing. He's eight catches for 89 yards. We talked about this, how um, Antonio Brown, I saw on the headline when you're watching college football, he wants to play. He's ready to play. But uh, Antonio Brown is, uh, is an afterthought. Michael Thomas is the best wide receiver in the NFL. 
Um, and, and another big, the other big game of the of the day, Dallas uh, losing to the Jets. When I saw the line of like six or seven, I said, "Boy, I think it's lines low." But Sam Darnall came in for the Jets. He returned from missing four games from his spleen. He played uh, lights out. The Dallas was uninspired. Uh, they came back in the end, and, and it was too late. They had a chance for a two-point conversion at the end of the game, uh, and uh, and and and. Um, was that we're not able to complete it. People are all on Dak Prescott's case. Uh, I think that the, the Dallas defense is not as good as they were last year, and that's an issue. But now they've lost three in a row, um, and they got to right their ship. Uh, but uh, it, uh, the other, the other. So you know, in terms of of games. Uh, oh, one last one I want to mention is Miami versus Washington. Uh, Miami did what they had to do, which is lose the game. Miami wants to get the number one pick, and they were in jeopardy of actually winning that game. But that was there were two teams with winless teams, and uh, so Miami did what they were uh, had to do by perfection to to lose the game. But uh, next week uh, uh, you got Minnesota at Detroit. Uh, New Orleans Chicago should be a really good game. And, and at night the Sunday night game is Philadelphia Dallas. Boy, both three and three. Feels like must wins for both those games. And on Monday night, you have New England at the Jets. Uh, but tonight, you have Detroit and Green Bay. Detroit's 2 1 and 1. They had an off week. They didn't play last week. It's like they've only played four games. It's like everyone else has played six. They've only played four. And uh, uh, Green Bay's a three and a half point favorite at home. Uh, it's, a, it's a really good Monday night game. It's like this is a game. There's not some, the Monday night games are set in stone, they don't move around. So, but. Uh, I'm going to say I think Detroit's going to win this game. I think people have been sleeping on them all year. I like Matthew Stafford. I think he's, I think he's just having one of the best years he's ever had in the league. Uh, and I think that Detroit I, – I, I'm just – I think Detroit wins this game. It's going to be really close. I definitely take Detroit in the points. So uh, – but anyway, we have Steve Tannehill uh, ready uh, for the interview right now. Uh, so, uh, and uh, I think Steve, we're trying to get Steve on the line for to go start with the interview. So we um, uh, we can we can uh, get Steve on the line right now. And you're listening to Iron Sports 95.9 106.9. Steve Tannehill, one of the greats of South Carolina, on the phone right now. Uh, Steve was is the, still the all-time leader in touchdown passes at quarter, quarterback, and in the second in yardage, he was the quarterback from 92 to 95. And, uh, Steve, I guess it was pretty exciting down there in Columbia this weekend. Yeah, great win. You know, kind of unexpected. We, um, Carolina hadn't been really played that well this, this season. And, and uh, you know, Georgia ranked number three in the country. And to go down there and really dominate the game, especially from our defense, um, you know, was, was a bit surprising. And, and the guys really stepped up. And, and uh, what a great win, especially, to, you know, the – the freshman quarterback gets hurt. They bring in the, which is actually the third string quarterback, and and you know we find a way to win. But really, just the, the defense, and uh, it really set themselves up for, you know, maybe an okay ending to what looked to be, uh, you know, a pretty bad, pretty bad start. You know, we got Florida at home this week, and and uh, they're coming off a loss, and and uh, you just never know that college football. It's uh, it's it's something, but. Definitely a, a giant win for Will Muschamp and his and his program moving forward. So you owned uh, the group therapy recovery room bar in Columbia, the, the number one bar. So it's a 12 o'clock start of the game. It's you're 25 point underdogs. What was the, the like at 12 o'clock? Was the bar packed? Were people excited for the game, or was sort of like people just you know checking out to make sure it's not a huge blowout before they'll come in and watch the game? Yeah. 
Well, this week was a little different. It was fall break. So um, once you have that, it, it completely changes. Usually we have um, a full house and, and are rented out by some group. Um, but this week, I think um, I wasn't actually in there, but I think there was 10 people. <laughs> um, <laughs> what, what you had, you had the, the, the South Carolina Fairs in Columbia. You know, you have fall break and, and you had um, the game in Athens, and, and a lot of people went to the game. If you look in, and I saw a lot of stuff on social media there, South Carolina, we had a lot of fans at the game. But normally it would have been, you know, shoulder to shoulder and, and people cheering and, and watching all the TVs. But um, just a little different a little different this week because of the fall break and the fair and, and everything else being and being around. And about the mood of the, in terms of the game, I mean, I was texting you while the game was going on, and you're like, at the early, I'm like, oh, you're playing great, and you're saying it's a long game. But just the ability to, when Georgia when Georgia came back against Notre Dame, and they were just sort of, I was shocked that South Carolina was just able to stay in that game and didn't let Georgia get one of those drives down where they just handed the ball uh, to Swift, uh, you, know, you know, 10 times, and they score a touchdown, like, or two or three touchdowns. It was like their defense really really was able to push, you know, cause Fromm to have turnovers and to stop Georgia's uh, – uh, every drive they had was stopped. Well, I thought, I thought the defense line, Pinlaw, you know, number three, he is um, – when he got to South Carolina, he was, you know, kind of overweight. And uh, the last two years he's got himself into, into football shape. And I think Saturday was a statement, statement game for him because Georgia came in with one of the best other lines in the country, and I really thought he dominated the football game. And, um, you know, they've talked about him as being a first-round pick, and uh, I think that's kind of maybe was his mindset going in the game was to prove that he is a first-round pick. But I, I thought our defensive line controlled the game, and, and uh, Georgia had opportunities to actually find a way to win that game. We, we gave it, tried to hand it to him at the end, um, but our guys hung in there, and, and when you get the turnovers, that that's the difference, especially in the in the college game, is is a little bit different than the pros. The pros can kind of just all of a sudden there's two minutes to go in the game, turn it on, and find a way to win. But if you turn the football over in college football, most of the time you lose, and and uh, that's exactly what happened for us on Saturday. Carolina forced, I know what, four or five turnovers, and and. Uh, yeah, really, that, that's what the game came down to. Well, Jake Fromm hadn't thrown an interception all year in five games, and you forced him to have three to, three interceptions and then had a fumble, which was another key fumble. How about Parker White? So he misses the field goal to win the game in, in overtime, in the first overtime, a 33-yard field goal but after, on the interception. But then he comes back, and then in the second overtime, a lot of times you see these overtimes, and you see enough college football, and the kicker misses one time, and he just starts to keep missing and missing. But he came back and, and made that big kick, and, and, and Blankenship, the star kicker from Georgia, is the one that missed that. I'm mean, Talk about Parker White being able to compose himself for that, second, that kick in the second overtime, to, which, which proved to be the game-winning kick. Well, Parker's one of the most reliable guys in the country, really and truly. He, um, when he first became the kicker, I mean, he struggled, and uh, he's gotten better and better and better. And I think our punter's one of the best in the country. And uh, but he misses a chip shot that, you know, as everyone that I was talking or texting to, I mean, we just thought it was over because he he just he hasn't missed many, especially in there that close. 
and uh, he misses it and then uh, makes the next one. And their guy who never misses and hasn't missed all year, um, you know, he does miss that then. He didn't miss it by much. But that, that and like I said, that's you just got to keep hanging, especially on the road in the SEC. You just got to hang in there and hang in there. And, and uh, for once, the ball bounced the way of the team that really deserved to win. I, not because I'm a South Carolina fan, but I, I just think Carolina dominated that game. And, and uh, you know, it was only right that we won. You know, you hate it for the kickers. Someone's got to make one. Someone's got to miss one. But uh, a lot of times in overtime, you see touchdowns and, and uh, you know, two overtimes and no touchdowns. And, and uh, But, man, what a win. What a win for the football team. And, and most champs guys are young. There's a lot of young players on that team, and that doesn't do anything but build the confidence. But um, you just got to hang in there, and, and you know, you know, you, uh, Parker White's one of the best, I think, and and uh, you know he he got his mind right to kick that second one. And you also got to give credit to Ryan Halinski, the starter, gets hurt in the uh, third quarter, late in the third quarter, and uh, on a late hit. And DeKaren Joyner comes in that game. And it's not like he led and threw the ball around, but he got some key first downs, but he didn't make any big mistakes. Didn't, turn, didn't, didn't cost the game for them and actually was able to in overtime. So, I mean, as a, as a freshman, I don't know if he's a true freshman, but I know he's a freshman come in. I mean, Joyner did a great job at least keeping, letting South Carolina keep their defense to, to stay in the game. Yeah, DeKaren did fine. You know, DeCarian, from what I understand, um, is maybe the most competitive guy on the entire football team. Um, I was over there a few times in the spring, and, and uh, you know, when the quarterback battle uh, was really going on between Helensky and Joyner for backup this spring. And and uh, I knew when they decided to put him at wide out and, and get him on the field that, um, you know, that was probably true. He was a competitor. And for him to be able to play wide out the first couple games and come back, uh, you know, he led his high school team, I think, the three three state championships here. I coached against him once, and, and uh, you know, he was the player of the year in a state maybe two straight years. So um, he's got an awful lot of, of ability, and it, obviously he knows our system um, because, you know, it didn't seem – now, we didn't let him do a whole lot, but it didn't seem like we had any hiccups when he came in at quarterback, and, and uh, he held it together. And, and uh, again, we – we found a way to win, and, and and we got a few first downs with them, and and you know no bad turnovers, and and uh, hey, he might have to play some this week against Florida. You know, they say Helensky's got a sprained knee, but he should be okay. But you know that's the thing, a backup quarterback, you're always one play from being the man, and and uh, you know the the really played well, not played well, but he he did everything he had to to help us win. Um, we're talking to Steve Tannehill, who was a quarterback from South Carolina from uh, 92 to 95 and is uh, still holds uh, most of the passing uh, totals, passing records in South Carolina's history. And you had some big wins when you were there. You beat Clemson at Clemson and, uh, and LSU at, at LSU. So those are, are two huge wins that you were there. Talk about the team, the confidence going to go to actually go into Georgia uh, as a 25-point underdog, get that victory, and where does that say? Where does that take the program, and you know, for the rest of the year? And now you got Florida coming next week. Well, I think it's a major confidence booster. Again, 20, you don't see too many 25-point underdog teams win. Um, you, you know, you see a maybe a 10 or a or a five, but uh, to be you know more than three touchdown underdogs on the road and win is that you don't see that too much. So 
Um, you know, I think the guys believe in Coach Muschamp and I believe in the system. We we just haven't played quite up to what I guess everybody thought going into the year. But it's a giant confidence booster. And uh, I think it brings the team together even more to know that, you know, they found a way to win and, and they can win on any given Saturday. Um, you know, a couple of weeks ago, we really played Alabama pretty good. We, um, offense played good. The defense, we didn't tackle very good, but we played them okay. And, um, you know, so going, going forward, you still you still have Florida at home. You know, you got to go to Texas A&M and get Clemson at home. So the schedule's, the schedule's tough. I mean, we've we got to play an App State as one of our out-of-conference out of games, and App State's undefeated, ranked 24. So, um, you know, there's not a lot of guarantees in the SEC, and, and uh, a win like that um, hopefully – you know, propels us to come out there with that same fire and and and, and play. The the one thing you 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 don't want to see is us come out this week and and Florida put it to us and and we're kind of right back to where we were. So hopefully it's a it's a jump starter and and uh, it pushes these guys. That feeling in the in the locker room after the game of a big road win is, is pretty special. And th- and they just went through it. You know, a great bus ride home and people meeting them in Columbia, waiting on them to get it back and. and those are all the things that are that make the sport and, and, and make what USC is it makes it unbelievable that the fan support and, and this Saturday even though it's a noon game it's going that, that stadium is going to be going crazy and and uh, you know I hope our guys you know take it all in and, and, and come out and and uh, we're only six and a half point underdogs this week against Florida so um, we'll see what happens in that one. And you own the the recovery room bar in in Columbia. It's going to be packed this weekend. So if you can't, you'll you'll either be busy during the game, watching the game, or after the game, after they they pull the upset, people will be there celebrating. So that should be fun. Oh yeah, let's hope they pull off the upset. Um, five points will be crazy. Uh, it's you no, know, it would have been crazy this past weekend, but again, it was fall break. So it'll be interesting to see a noon game. You know that game's over at three thirty four. If we win. Uh, you know, they'll flood the streets down there. So hopefully, um, and Carolina football winning is uh, is good for business, <laughs> for sure. That's great. Well, Steve, I know you're really busy, but thanks a lot for coming on Iron Sports. And uh, have fun this weekend. Enjoy it. It's going to be great. It'll be an exciting atmosphere at college football uh, on Saturday, in October, the big games. I just love it. And uh, so have a, have a good weekend and best of luck. All right, man. Appreciate it. Call me anytime, man. Take it easy. Thank you.